impact of technology can be felt in every aspect of the ag industry, and animal agriculture is no different. Today, we hear about how biopharma leader Merck Animal Health strategically position themselves to be ahead of the curve when it comes to animal ag tech. If you're not in technology as a core capability, it's just theory. Like you learn by being in it. You have to learn to rethink your norms. Stephen Murray leads Merck Animal Health Ventures, the team within Merck that invests in disruptive technology companies that will positively impact the future of animal agriculture. The desire to understand more about information around health, reproduction, welfare, I do see that emerging relatively quickly as these technologies become more mainstream. The first thing we ask ourselves is, is this a problem that people really want solved? And then the second part of that is, and is that a problem that Merck in this biopharma technology company is positioned or wants to be in to help solve? From their major acquisition of Antelic a few years ago to the startup companies that make up their portfolio, Stephen Murray joins us to talk innovation, strategic investing, and the future of animal ag. Hello, Ag Nerds. Thanks so much for joining me for another episode of The Future of Agriculture. My name is Tim Hamrich, and every week I get to sit down with the founders, the farmers, the innovators, the investors, the people shaping the future of the ag industry. We have a great episode for you here today, and it's kind of a special one. Today's the first episode that is supported by our very first ever quarterly presenting sponsor, Merck Animal Health Ventures. Merck Animal Health Ventures is a premier investor in animal ag tech. They invest in companies creating the next generation of animal identification and monitoring technology to advance animal health, as well as new business models to create value from animal data. Merck Animal Health Ventures partners with early stage technology companies to successfully scale solutions for their customers, which include livestock producers, veterinarians, and pet owners. For more information, check out the Merck Animal Health Ventures website. And thanks so much to this group for supporting the Future of Agriculture podcast. And on that note, I'm very pleased to welcome the leader of the Merck Animal Health Ventures team, Stephen Murray, joining me as our featured guest on today's episode. Originally brought up on a sheep and beef farm in New Zealand, Stephen spent the first part of his career as a dairy veterinarian in that country. He decided to leave private practice in the mid-90s for industry, which led him through a series of different roles and acquisitions to eventually working for Merck Animal Health starting in 2011. Stephen built the Animal Health Ventures Group from its foundation in 2016, developing the team, their ways of thinking and processes that are needed to invest, partner, and work with young technology businesses that are of strategic interest to Merck Animal Health. In today's episode, we're going to cover how an established industry leader embraces technology as a core competency, what this acquisition of Antelic meant to that end, the role of the strategic investor in the early-stage startup ecosystem, and some of Stephen's thoughts on where the future of animal ag tech is headed. We're going to start, though, with that landmark acquisition of Antelic. I think what happened was we got more and more conviction that technology wasn't an adjunct so much as could be central to the future of our business. And then that led us to the acquisition of what was called Antalic or what most people think of as Allflex. And then it became like really 
full time because that's a technology business. And now we were in the technology business as well. And if anybody out there listening and not familiar with Intellic or Allflex, could you just uh, sum it up in a nutshell of what it is, the technology that they brought to the table when you purchased them? So we really, it was, there was four different parts. Two were kind of smaller. One was a connected pet business. And then Biomark is sort of helping uh, conservation on the aqua or trout and rivers and conservation space. The bigger businesses were identification. So uh, anybody in farming around the world, most people will know all flexes, like the yellow ear tags that you have on your, your cows. That's kind of how people know it. Uh, the electronic versions of those, what we call EID, electronic identification. So that identification piece was the traditional all-flex business. And then the, the other piece was this dairy monitoring business that had been you know, started at the turn of the century and two decades later was beginning to really get some momentum in the market. So that's monitoring dairy cows for when to mate for AI and then also for their health status. And so those are the four parts of the business that we acquired, but by far the biggest was ID and monitoring. Yeah. And I think from the outside looking in, that would seem to be, you know, the shift between just kind of biopharma to biopharma plus technology. But from the inside, I'm, I'm curious if you can share how difficult was it to start thinking that way? Because it is a new type of thinking rather than just, hey, we're a biopharma company to, you know, technology is a central part of being a biopharma company. You know, what was that like to make that shift of how you saw yourselves? <laughs> That's a great question. I think that like all these things, it's a confluence of events. So you had the right people thinking about it at the right time and the right opportunities in the market. So we could have talked about it and we were doing some minority investments in technology and we we're excited by what we saw. But I think the realization that to be able to do things at scale was a different company. Like you can make minority investment, you can see the impacts, but if you said, okay, I want to pick that up and make that, we, we see that as really core to our future. Then you realize you didn't have a core capability to build that. And so the, the timing of Antelic coming onto the market of being sold and as it was private equity owned, so the timing of those discussions, what we were learning with our minority investments, and that coming on the market with key people internally who were thinking about the same things and becoming more and more aware that your technology is probably going to have an impact on us. We're not exactly sure how, but it is. And, and that confluence of timing so you might call that luck or you might call that luck you make, uh, but whatever it was. And that it led us to this conviction that, no, this is, this is a capability we need. And it wasn't just the innovation, meaning the ideation. It was the ability to take a, an idea and take it to, you know, a million, two million animals around the world in all different circumstances. Temperature, you know, minus 30 Celsius to plus 40 Celsius. Uh, what does that look like when animals rub on it or do whatever they do. What's it like in a, in a dairy pit, you know, with ammonia, potentially a gas around or not, not high levels, but, you know, those circumstances of being able to scale technology, that's something that, that when we acquired them, they'd been doing for two decades. And that, that was something you can't just build yourself quickly. Like that really is years and years of experience and building as a capability. 
and it's this is probably a good example you know talking to you as a strategic investor in a corporate you know venture capital arm of when to be a minority investor which it sounds like you were in all of the investments before this happened and when it's like okay it's time to actually acquire this company and bring them in and integrate them into Merck Animal Health can you talk about that decision because those those seem like two very different things and certainly have different you know price tags associated with them why not just invest in a company you know like intellic and help foster it along and, and it have it benefit from the distribution like you talked about earlier of scaling to you know all these animals versus you know decide this is an acquisition target and we want to bring it in so the investments we make are in early stage companies right so intellic was a was an existing company with a significant revenue and so that option wasn't wasn't there uh, so it depends on the stage of the company the, the investments we've made are all when i say early stage mostly seed and a round so in other words proof of concept is still in process like they're not yet in fact i don't think many of them have revenue or certainly not significant revenue at the time we start investing so we're early stage investors where we think that we can add some value. So there might be some scientific or customer access or, or ways that we can help them be successful that should be more than what they can do by just raising capital. Otherwise, we're not, we're not really a strategic, we're a financial, and, and yes, we want a financial return, but that's not what we were set up primarily to do. And how does that work in practice? I could see where you know, in your role, you consider it your job to help these companies be successful however you can, but you've also got to work kind of internally with a company like Merck, and there's probably limits on the amount of sort of resources that can go to, you know, subsidize, for lack of a better term, the, the companies to become successful. How does that work from a strategic standpoint? Before we acquired Antalic, that was a constraint. Like we could offer value on a, maybe the science of a, a way a vaccine would work or a disease or something like that post acquisition where we now were a technology company as well as a biopharma company then what we were able to offer was much wider because we now have team who understand what it takes to build hardware devices and deploy hardware devices and cloud infrastructures and architectural design for what can scale and all those type of things communication protocols so we now have a few people with deep and wide expertise across those elements of, of the whole technology stack that are a part of our assessment and a part of our you know, value add. So we, hey, we can work with you and you know, we have some expertise in something that we know you're gonna come into. We know that when you scale, you're gonna come into this issue. Hey, and so if you, you know, think about this in this way now, that's gonna help you in, in a year or two when you've got you know, more or many more customers. Right. I love that. So yeah, no, I mean, definitely it speaks to the the fact that how significant that acquisition was to uh, your capabilities as a company in general. Would existing customers of Merck kind of notice that difference too of kind of going into more of a technology-focused company as a result? Initially on a daily basis, no. I think the, the, the customers that you sell to are a little different. So the biopharma customers tend to be veterinarians. Uh, on the whole, or, or you know, you deal with the live production unit if it's a large integrated operation. With the let's say the dairy monitoring, your customer is the farmer directly. So the veterinarian doesn't see that 
to the same degree on a daily basis. But over time, you know, veterinarians become aware or more and more aware that that monitoring and, and that information and data is something that is associated with with us, with Merck. So I think that's that's emerging or, or developing, evolving as the two parts of the business, you know, will, will when I say converge, I don't mean converge into one, you know, one customer because they they have different customers, but they converge in terms of the value and a consistent way that you might think about solving a problem. Right. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about that uh, a little bit more of, of kind of this integration of a company like Antelic into Merck Animal Health, because I know even though it's a clear strategic fit, that doesn't make it easy, right? So maybe if you could share some lessons from the years that followed that acquisition about these types of transactions and these types of uh, melding of companies. Yeah, I <laughs> probably so many, many lessons. I think the first thing is that if you're not in technology as a core capability and you're not in early stage company or innovation within it, it's just theory. Like you learn by being in it. And so that's really, really important. You have to learn to rethink your norms, right? How you might think about this is not an area we're in, but if you were looking at, you know, using body temperature to decide if an animal's sick or not, and then you want to do that by, you know, camera instead of thermometer, then now the way you think it, it's not a, it's not a direct correlation. This temperature equals that temperature. You have to rethink, well, what does this mean? Is it the same if you're looking at trying to think about body weight by camera versus weighing this on a weigh scale? And you've got numerous readings across a week versus one you know, scale reading every month or so. How you measure, how you look at that information is, is different. So you have to rethink. That's one point. Many, many, many different lessons. But the biggest one of all, although we kind of knew it, and I mentioned that, that you know, the capability wasn't core. I think even more two years later, or it might be three years now, the even more the ability to scale and take something from, you know, a thousand or two thousand to a million, that is a journey. And that's that's the toughest part of innovation, I would say, in, in animal health is is not the ideas. There's lots of good ideas out there and lots of ideas that will help. But being able to make them robust in many different types of farming operations around the world, I would say I'm more convinced than ever that that's the hardest part of animal ag tech. And as you're looking at early stage companies, how are you assessing that part of, okay, yeah, we've got three great ideas here. This one's going to have a better path to scaling than that one. How do you approach that from sort of a, like a, a mental framework standpoint? I think we, we take it more like what problem is being solved and, and how severe is that problem? Like, and, and, and the ultimate question is, you know, is this an idea that somebody says, oh, that's nice to solve versus, yeah, if you can solve that, I'm going to give you this money now because I need that solved, right? It's a, it's a very different type of answer. So the first thing we ask ourselves is, is this a problem that people really want solved? And then the second part of that is, and is that a problem that Merck in this biopharma technology company 
is positioned or wants to be in to help solve. So just because it is a solution doesn't mean it should be for us. So there's a bunch of areas that are not for us. Like we're not a nutritional business, but we can see that we should work with nutritional companies. So, you know, despite all the advancements in technology and innovation, from your standpoint, are there still a lot of those problems out there in animal agriculture of like, just if you could solve this, I would gladly pay you what you're asking? Yes. And one of the reasons I say yes emphatically is that whilst, you know, we might be making progress in, in let's say, dairy monitoring, that's, that's well established, been out there for two decades, and it's just beginning to be moved from sort of early adopter into mainstream, sort of in that process. And that will continue to be built out. But if you go to swine and poultry, the ability to early identify problems around health, et cetera, is much more nascent. Like there's, not, there's not commercial solutions out there at this stage. There's, there's some that are emerging. We've invested in poultry sense ourselves. But yeah, so there's many more. And my expectation is that once you begin to solve some of those things, then you'll run into the next question. You know, okay, now I can early diagnose this animal, okay, what's the right approach to use with that animal? Or another disease will might, might emerge that, you know, you get regularly in swine and poultry in particular, but new diseases emerging and, and how might you manage those and how, what's the interplay of technology in those circumstances? So for example, biosecurity, not an area we're in, but we do see that, or I would say that you're going to see more technology helping solve that. Those those solutions are starting to emerge. And, and for you know your team, how do you keep a pulse on these early early stage companies that are not in the press yet? Probably for most of them, is it just kind of like old school network? You know, how, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of these emerging companies that that are so nascent? So when we started, it was the old school go to the innovation events that were kind of starting up at the same time, right? So technology in particular, startups were starting to emerge. There were biopharma startups that were a little bit further on, maybe. So you would have these events that would invite them in and they would invite investors in. So we just started going and meeting as many people as possible. Once we acquired Intellic, we had a, a different network in the market that sort of came with that. And then as we've built up our portfolio and got to know various other investors and, and founders, et cetera, we find that that network is now doesn't just rely on events. We still go to those events. We sponsor them as makes sense. We might we may or may not speak at them. But that network of investors and startup founders and companies is it sort of expands out and then people begin to get to know you more. Like if you're a startup now and you're thinking about animal health and welfare or production, uh, you're probably going to come upon us, I hope, fairly fairly quickly on as, as, hey, this would be a good investor to go and talk to. And how early will you start that conversation with them? I, I know you said you're kind of seed and, and uh, series A, but um, will you start that conversation, you know, really early in the uh, life of the business? Absolutely. And, and that doesn't mean that, you know, an investment is, is timed right for that, but just to, to know. And a lot of times we'll meet a company and we say, hmm, interesting idea, not ready yet. Other times we meet them and go, okay, I wish this had been like six or nine months ago. 
So it, it just depends. So I, I don't think you can be too early to meet them, but you can certainly be too early to invest because it takes time and often it might be a year to two years later before you, you might do that. Right. And have you been with the Merck Animal Health Ventures team since the group started and, and kind of maybe walk us through some of the history of, of Merck deciding to approach things this way? So, yes, I guess I was the first person who volunteered to lead. We didn't even know what to call it at that stage. We started by calling it H3 for Third Horizon, and we found that we were all the time explaining what that meant. So we said, okay, let's rename ourselves. We called ourselves Animal Health Ventures because it was fairly clear what we did at that point. So I did it part-time for like almost two years. Our first full-time person started about... I think nine months after that, we had an internal startup um, that we were looking at, and then we made our first minority investment. And now we have a team of, I think it's five of us, with a sort of species uh, differentiation. So we'll have one person, like Jeanette looks at the ruminants, Nick looks at the companion animal, John in the, in the swine area, Andre at the poultry area, and then we have Camilla in, in the aqua space. They may be more involved with an internal incubation or more involved on the investment side, but they kind of have to cover both. So, yes, right from the very start. And, and I don't want to get you in trouble with any of those team members you just mentioned, but is there one area in particular that you're seeing, you know, a lot of excitement in, a lot of opportunities in, either now or in the, in the near future? In each species, we see clear value around a monitoring, and that's our sort of core proposition. But that's going to be in partnership. You're going to be in an ecosystem. You're not on your own. And that the ecosystem is what we're seeing is a lot of interest by, it might be retailers wanting to utilize or tap into your monitoring as something that adds value to their brand. So that's, an, I think, in all species, or at least all livestock species, you know, there's a lot of talk about carbon these days and what that might mean. We, we're watching that space. We think that for us, how that plays out, what it means, it's still early to know exactly how that's going to play out, like I said before, and what our role there could be. Where, where do we add value? So that's an area that, we, that we're watching that there's a lot of excitement about, but you also have to be clear-eyed around just what is you know, your role or our role and what does that mean? And I think people get a little bit overhyped on some of these things. There's real things to do here, but how they play out at, you know, in a real market is, is still evolving rapidly, but evolving. Right. Yeah. One thing I've noticed just from covering ag tech for a few years is that sometimes everybody is so excited about something except the customer, like the customer really isn't that excited about it at all. And so, you know, you all are in a great position to kind of keep tabs on like, okay, everybody in the venture capital world loves this, but are our customers really going to go for it? Do you have like a systematic feedback loop for that sort of thing of kind of getting a sense from a real customer of whether they're actually going to shell out real dollars to buy this stuff? Well, first, kind of, I guess, two layers. Our team are all, by our team, I mean the ventures team, but also the sort of wider team, both on the technology side and, the, and on the commercial side as well, are pretty connected. 
to real customers. So, you know, I've been the guy in what we call the gumboots on the farm, you know, lying in the in the dirt, trying to carve a cow and, and, and those sort of things. So we're very connected. And so you have that first sort of instinct around what makes a difference at that level. And then if we do progress further, then we want to go and speak to real customers. And we, we want to make sure that if somebody's thinking about this particular product, you know, have they got real customers and, and let's speak to them and, and see what their experience is. And yes, they should be excited about it because it's hard to drive value for a producer, you know, from all the way at the other end of the chain. The person who's using it on a daily basis should be the one who's most excited about it. Yep, absolutely. And I think you're up to uh, something like 10 portfolio companies now. Could you maybe talk about sort of your team's approach of the types of companies that you are ending up investing in? Any themes or threads that carry through them? Or maybe if you just want to single out a few as examples of the types of investments you're making. No, it's not like we went after one technology space. In fact, that's not the theme. It's more or less the opposite. So within the portfolio, you'll see quite a range of investments across the species and across the type of technology. So you've got Targan, which is a company that's spraying vaccines in the eyes of chicks as a different way of being able to vaccinate at scale, right? So better coverage, better welfare that, you know, we can see why strategically we sell the vaccine that they use that makes sense for us to invest. We do have companion animal investments, but I know you're less interested in those. Soma Detect uh, out of Canada, which has um, looking to evaluate various parameters of milk in line, right? And so more or less in real time and multiple parameters, not just one. So somatic cell count, reproductive status, fat and protein. So you can imagine that, again, you, you can see a strategic fit with our monitoring. That makes sense that those technologies should be compatible like they they should have value to each other as these things prove out so that's a different type of investment to spraying a chicken and eye for example so you get these very different things because what's solving a problem for poultry like we invested in poultry sense and then we acquired it which is in essence monitoring the barn environments and zones and also the weight and growth of the chicks that is different to spraying them. That's different to, you know, using artificial intelligence and sort of advanced light scattering in order to determine the status of an animal's various parameters based on its milk. So very different. I think what's common is more early stage where we're able to work with them to try and prove our concept. And then once that concept gets proven, then you go through, you know, that sort of normal next funding rounds and, and, and growing up. And, and talk about that. I know you, you like to use the word incubation. So can you maybe talk about incubation and what that looks like in practice and how we sort of prove that out? So incubation was a concept that started a couple of years ago. So after we had made a, a, a series of investments, and then we acquired one of them that was quantified ag and we, we made that first acquisition and we, hey look this is a team of nine people like really motivated great people but we're a large multi-thousand people organization and if we split them up and put them all in into their various normal departments 
then the project or the, the, the product dies because they just, you know, they've got so many other priorities and everything else. We need to incubate, keep them together as a team until the, the product and the, and the organization is ready to scale that. And so we did, we did that for a period. We learned, we still learn and getting better at it. How you launch a technology product is very different to how you launch, say, a biopharma product. You know, so one is a very defined product that's well known at launch with the regulations around it that make total sense. A technology product, when you first launch that, you know, the, the product 12 months later, 24 months later is much more evolved. And so you're learning in one market, you're evolving it, you're developing it. And then, it, you know, six months later, it's, it looks a little different and it, it's improving all the time. So the way to incubate and learn about those sort of early stage solutions is is very different. Right. On the agronomy side of agriculture, a lot of times you'll see some of the companies be met with skepticism saying, okay, well, you're a big seed company and now you want to also have this technology component that's going to collect a bunch of data from my farm just so you can sell me more seed. Like that's that's the kind of supposed end game. You know, do you run into any of that? Like, okay, your goal here is just to sell me more pharmaceuticals. And so, you know, I don't know what I think about this sensor being on my my operation. Do you run into that? And, and if so, kind of what's what's your response to that mentality? So far, not really. And, and I think that that's something that I referred to before is it's a different customer. So if you take the, the customer base we have different, which is dairy farmers, right? They're buying monitoring because they want to know when's the best time to mate my cows with AI. Um, can I get better reproductive performance? Can I get better health performance? On the other hand, it's the veterinarians who who prescribe based on diagnosis our vaccines and pharmaceutical products. So it's a different customer, so you don't really get that so far. I, I think maybe is in the poultry space, I guess that's possible, but really the technology solution has to stand on its own. Like it has to be valuable on its own. Otherwise, you're not going to put in the, 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 the effort and the resources to, to equip your barns with this technology. You know, that, that has to be a primary value. And it has to be giving the producer you know, good results and good outcomes. Again, the veterinarian who prescribes the vaccines is a different party in that. So we haven't run into it because I think, I don't know exactly you know, the, the cropping side, but I think the advisors, you know, uh, as it were, our channels are different, put it that way. Yeah. yeah and that's a really interesting point. That, I mean, the difference in channels, it, it makes me wonder Will there be a time in the future where a veterinarian wants to be the local provider and supporter of technology as well? Like in addition to their vet services, will they want to be the distribution channel for some of these animal ag technologies? Do you see any of that today or do you see a possibility of that in the future? We've seen a little bit of that, not so much. I think veterinarians are much more in interested in the information, the data, and what that means for health and reproduction, which is their forte. So, you know, I think as the technology becomes more widespread, we see that sort of, oh, okay, this is interesting. So, so not retailers of technology as such, you know, and, and, you know, having inventory of hardware and, or, you know, setting up subscriptions. No, no, I don't expect that on the whole, like you might get some exceptions. 
but the desire to to understand more about information around health, reproduction, uh, welfare, I do see that emerging relatively quickly as these technologies become more mainstream. And don't forget, you know, the, the collars are like 10% of market penetration after two decades. Now that's going to accelerate, but really it's only just beginning to be mainstream and the other species is not at that point yet. Wow. So we're early, early innings. Early innings, yes. And so, you know, but I think what, you know, you, you hit that inflection point on the, on the adoption curve where it becomes, uh, I know somebody who's using this and they're getting great results. And then all of a sudden you go, you know, 10, you know, you can double market share relatively quickly and it becomes much more significant. And I think you'll see that in dairy over the next two to four years. Well, let's let's uh, with the last few minutes here, look to the future. You know, you, you said at the top, you know, your job is to kind of look for disruption in ways that are not immediately clear or obvious. You know, as you think about that today, what are areas that you think, you know, are poised for disruption that maybe we're not talking enough about? I think that what's going to happen is you're going to get monitoring across a poultry barn, a swine barn on a beef farm in a different way but on a dairy farm, what I don't think we know is how that all, what that ecosystem and, it, and all the sort of results of that. So I can see that this makes perfect sense from an ROI and labor and other perspectives. But what's unclear is, okay, when that becomes the norm, you know, when 50, 70% plus of people are using monitoring, what's all the knock-on or consequences of that for consultancy for suppliers for the way you do field trial work now you know there's a whole different way of doing field trial work when you've got tens of thousands of animals being monitored so you know there's the stuff that people talk around of sustainability and and carbon and emissions if you're in the ruminant side and and i that we've already talked about like that you go okay that's going to emerge i don't know what it's going to be do farmers end up getting you know alternative sources of income from these sort of emerging markets around carbon or not, I, I don't exactly know. And I don't know what that does to the, to the support systems, you know, that ecosystem around them. So I think for me, that's like, that's really un, unclear. But I think the, the one thing is if you're not in it, you're not learning. It's all about being in it and learning and, and being okay with the fact that you just don't know the future, but you want to be there somehow. Man, what a great place to end. I just love that point about you've got to be in the game, so to speak, even if you don't know 100% what the future might hold. Thank you so much to Stephen Murray for his time on the podcast. Make sure you go check out the Merck Animal Health Ventures team. I'll make sure I put a link for them in the show notes to this episode. What are your thoughts on the future of animal agriculture? Let me know. I'm on Twitter at Tim Hamrich, or if you're not a Twitter person, I totally understand. You can reach me on LinkedIn or via email at tim at aggrad.com. Thanks so much for your time and your attention. I really don't take it lightly. I'll be back next week with another story of ag innovation. <laughs>